listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. One of the things that's a common denominator for us, and I think you'll agree, is that we all have had and maybe have recently experienced a nightmare. Anybody had a nightmare recently? Uh, You woke up in a cold sweat, somebody's chasing you, yeah. And sometimes it's not just like you're in physical danger. Sometimes the nightmare is just a circumstance that just you you can't take. it's It's a scene in your mind that you're just like, when you wake up, you're thinking, Oh, wow, I'm so glad that wasn't real. And, and sometimes it takes a minute for you to settle into the fact that, yeah, that wasn't real. And so the nightmares we have, we all have them. Last week, we started a series on the book of Daniel. And Daniel basically started out in a nightmare scenario. You see, what has happened is, if you weren't with us, God's cup of judgment has already been filled to the brim with his people, the nation of Judah. You see, for years and years and years, God had promised that if they disobeyed him on a consistent basis, if they ignored him, if they followed after pagan gods, if they settled into the practices of those that they lived around, that God would ultimately bring judgment on them. He didn't want to. He didn't want to bring judgment. He wanted to bless them. In fact, he had given them a number of blessings and promises that God was going to give to his people if they would just simply obey But if they consistently and hard-heartedly and rebelliously disobeyed after disobeyed after disobeyed, God said, I'm going to have no choice but to bring judgment on you. That judgment didn't mean that he didn't love his people. It just meant what some of you fathers feel when you reach for the belt in the midsection. You say, I love you, and um, maybe we can't do that anymore in this culture. I, I could. But at any rate... It's not that he didn't love them. It was just that it was time. That cup was full, and now had time for judgment. And so God raised up Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon to come in and take over Jerusalem. And in that takeover, the king grabbed or had one grab a number of individuals to bring back to Babylon with them. The upper crust, the young, good-looking, eager to learn and gifted in learning. And some of you are going, I'm out. I was out on good-looking, you know, and I'm not that smart. But the ones that were the upper echelon, connected to royalty, connected to nobility. Nebuchadnezzar said, bring those folks back to, to, to Babylon with us so we can re-educate them. So that they can help us take the Babylonian worldview and the Babylonian culture and ideas and religion and they'll help us assimilate these people of Judah. Well, what we discovered in that nightmare scenario was that there was a light. That light is the fact that even though God's people were under God's judgment, God was still there for those who would respond. And four did respond. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. uh, Daniel had his names changed to, somebody tell me, 
Belteshazzar. And you know Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four responded to God even in a time of judgment, and they walked faithfully with him, and God showed them favor. God brought them to a place of of security under his hand. And now we move to chapter number 2. Chapter number 2 tells us about not just a figurative nightmare, but a real one. A real nightmare that was going to communicate God's truth to the Gentile world kingdoms from that point even till today. And in fact, that word is true for the Gentile world kingdoms even beyond today until God does what he promises he'll do. But he'll identify that in just a minute. We're going to break this long chapter down, but we're going to let it speak for itself. This long chapter, it's uh, made up of 49 verses. In these 49 verses, we're going to see a troubled king. We're going to again see four faithful servants. And then lastly, we're going to hear from the Sovereign God, who last week we learned, even in times of judgment, is always and will always be sovereign, the only one. So let's jump into this. Let's see this troubled king. Chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament. If you've got your uh, Oasis Church app, you can follow along in the notes there uh, as well. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. This isn't the first time that a Gentile king was troubled by dreams. It it happened once before to a king by the name of Abimelech. Abimelech was troubled in his sleep because of a woman he had taken into his harem by the name of Sarah. God told Abimelech, Sarah cannot be in your harem because she is going to be a part of my plan with her husband, not her brother. I know that's what he told you, but in fact, he's her husband, Abraham. And Abimelech's like, okay, Lord, beg your pardon. And he got rid of Sarah. Not only did he speak to Abimelech in dream, he also spoke to Pharaoh in dreams. Many, many years earlier, but after Abraham and Sarah, God spoke to Pharaoh in a dream that was interpreted by a Jewish man named Joseph. It was about a famine that was coming, and Joseph was able to tell Pharaoh the meaning of the dream, and therefore God provided for not only the Egyptians, but he provided for his people by revealing truth to come in dreams. You say, Pastor Kevin, does God speak in dreams today? God does whatever God wants to without permission from me and warning to me that he's going to do what he wants. But here's what I would recommend. Be cautious about what you say is God speaking in dreams. Because what we have that that many of those who heard from God in dreams don't have is his word. And whatever God says to you, if in fact he does speak to you 
in a dream, it must coincide with God's word or else it's the meatloaf you had the night before. Does that make sense? If it goes against God's word, if it tells you more than what God's word says, a new revelation, it's the tacos, it's not God because he speaks through his word. Yes, his spirit, but always in connection with his word. So God spoke to Gentiles in dreams. Not only that, Nebuchadnezzar was troubled. He woke up from this dream, moved in his heart. He, he, he felt a sense of, of, of forebode. I mean, he's, he's nervous. He's anxious. And it says that sleep left him. There was another king that's going to happen a few years from Nebuchadnezzar by the name of Ahasuerus. Who's going, you might know him as King Xerxes the Persian, and he's going to have restless nights when he's going to ask to hear the books read, the, the accounting books to, to help relieve him of his insomnia. And God is going to use that in order to bring about his purpose as well. Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream, a nightmare. It's troubled him. He's woken up disturbed by what he saw. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, all four levels of his wise representatives, he called them all. He summoned them to tell the king his dream. Tell the king his dream. Tell me what I dreamed. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. The Chaldeans said to the king, in Aramaic, and interestingly enough, in the text of Daniel, it goes from Hebrew at this point to being written in Aramaic. And it will stay in Aramaic all the way through the end of chapter 7, where it will pick up Hebrew again. You say, Pastor why in the world did he do that? Well, honestly, I can't know for certain. But many Bible students believe that what has happened is is that God's Word has changed from speaking directly to His people to now speaking directly to the kingdoms of the Gentiles. Certainly God's people are listening. Certainly God's people are hearing. But the recipients of this message, many think, becomes the Gentile kingdoms. And I think we'll find that that's a pretty good idea. The Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. Well, sure you will. You tell me your dream, I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you a new meaning tomorrow if you'd like. I, in fact, I'll tell you a new meaning every day this week if you tell me what your dream is. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. Basically saying, men, I've made up my mind on this. This is how this is going to go down. And I'm not changing my mind. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Tell me what I dream. Now, You've woken up from a dream before, and you're shaking and whatnot, and, and, and you're on the side of the bed, and you're like, I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. And your wife says, what, what's going on? It's like, I had a dream. And she's like, well, what was it? And you went, well, 
I don't know. It's about a raccoon and a Trans Am. I'm not really sure. I just, I don't know. I, you, you know how, so you got it. And then all of a sudden you give a couple of ticks of the clock and it's gone. I don't know that that's what Nebuchadnezzar saying. But I think what he's saying is, uh-uh. I'm not going to care about your interpretation if, unless you can tell me what I saw in my dream. If you tell me what I saw in my dream, then I'll know you got connections and I'll start listening to what you think the interpretation is. If you can't do that, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Now, there's, there's no, you know, word picture going on. He literally was going to tear them limb from limb. But if you show the dream and in its interpretation, you'll receive gifts from me and rewards and great honor. It's going to be as awesome as it is terrible. If you can tell me what I dream, what it means, I'm going to shower you with anything you want and all the honor you can stand. It's up to you. Door number one, door number two. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time. Well, of course they did. They're frustrated. They have no idea what this man dreamed. I said to him a second time, let the king tell his servants the dream, please, sir, and we'll show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time. You're stalling, boys. I know what you're doing. You're stalling. You're trying to gain a little bit more time. Maybe I'll sneak up and tell you what I dreamed, and then you can confer together and decide what you're going to tell me it means. Because you see that the word is in me from me is firm. If you don't make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, This is a true statement. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. That is a true statement right there. King, you're asking us to do what is impossible. It's not possible. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing by any magician or enchanter or in Chaldean. The thing that the king has asked is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. You see, they had all kinds of idols. They had all kinds of temples. They had all kinds of deities that they would bow down and worship to in, in, in varying forms and fashion. They were not lacking in worship. They were just worshiping things of wood and of stone. And those wooden and stone image represented a pantheon of gods that they believed in. Where did they come up with these gods? Probably passed down to them for centuries and centuries and centuries. After someone said, surely there's a deity, there's a being out there, and, and surely the sun represents what it is, so we'll start worshiping that. And I guess we'll call him this, and the moon we'll call that, and the gods that are associated. And century after century after century, and now they're saying only those gods know and they don't even live with us well number one there are no other gods 
There are no other gods. There are no other gods. But there is a God who created everything that can be known and everything that we will never be able to know. There is a source of that, and his name is I Am That I Am. He has revealed himself, and interestingly enough, he has told his people Israel and Judah that he intends to dwell with them and made his presence known by a pillar of fire at night, by a pillar of cloud in the day, until they got got the tabernacle finished and then he made his presence known in the tabernacle until they got the temple finished and then he demonstrated himself in his presence in the temple the place that was identified by his name so yeah their gods don't dwell with man they don't dwell nowhere they're not real but there is a god and he intends to dwell with his creation. You say, Pastor Kevin, how do you know that? Because John in his gospel says that the Word, the Logos, God the Son, put on flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that awesome? You say, but he ain't here no more. Man, I got some better news for you than that. The person of God, the Holy Spirit, is not hindered by space or time or distance. He is capable of dwelling with every follower of Jesus, God's people, in this time and for time evermore. So you're right, Chaldeans. Can't nobody in your kingdom tell you this dream or its interpretation. And, the, and not only that, the gods you think know aren't really gods, but you're right, they don't know. But we're going to find out if somebody knows. He said the king did. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. We see a king's troubled mind because of a nightmare. But we're going to see again four faithful servants. Look at verse number 13. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So why, why weren't they with them when the king was upset? Well, these, these guys are newbies. I mean, they are just gotten into the whole wise man scenario. So these are the, you know, they're, they're the upperclassmen. You know, they, they, Daniel and his four, they were freshmen. Now, they were sharp freshmen, and everybody saw it, and everybody recognized it, but they were just, they were newbies. They hadn't got into it yet, I guess. I don't know. And so they had to go find them if they were going to kill them as well. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared, Daniel did, to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Basically, he gets a knock at the door, Daniel does, opens the door, and they got a decree that says, you're to be killed today. And Daniel's like, I'd love to know why. I, mean, I really would love to know what's the charge. I mean, is it just a wild hair the king has? What's going on? Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him 
a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, Daniel didn't just walk into the king's presence. Certainly, he had to be welcomed into the king's presence. What does Daniel do? Walks in and says, King, I understand that you've had a dream, and nobody can tell you what the dream is, and you want the interpretation, but you want somebody to tell you what the dream is, and then the interpretation. Am I right? The king says, yes, that's what I said. Daniel said, could I, could I have a little while? Why would Daniel be so presumptuous? I mean, is this guy buying into his own press that he is this superstar Hebrew that has learned 10 times smarter than all the rest of that? Has this guy bought in to what folks are saying about him? No, Daniel has no clue what the dream is. Daniel has no idea what the interpretation is, but Daniel takes a step of faith. And here's the step. I know one who does know what the dream is, and he absolutely knows what the dream means. Daniel had no expectation that God was going to reveal it to him. He could have sought after God, and God could have said, nope, I'm not going to tell you. And Daniel could have lost his life, but here's what Daniel was going to go down with. Daniel was going to go down with having exercised every one of his options. And basically saying, King, I don't know, but I know who one, I know one does, and I'll go ask him. I'll go ask him, and if he tells me what it is, I'll be right back to tell you. But I'm going to need a minute. I'm imagining the king says, fine, you've got whatever many hours he gives them or days he gives them. So Daniel hustles, verse number 17, went to his house made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them, boys, we got to seek mercy from the God of heaven. He come in, said, you know what's going on, Daniel? He said, I know exactly what's going on. King wants to know his dream, and he wants to know the interpretation. Well, Daniel, you tell him what the interpretation is. You're good at that. God's given you that ability. I know. But I don't know what the dream is. That's the problem. Okay, well, we, we, we best spend some time in prayer. You see, that step of faith did not immediately open the door. So sometimes we think if we'll just step in faith that, that the door's going to open and the lights are going to be turned on and we're going to hear the chorus of angels oh, as we walk in to that straight way that God has promised Sometimes stepping out on faith, like Peter in the water, we were talking about this morning, waves crashing. Peter says, Lord, can I walk out there to you on the water? You know, Jesus didn't make a nice little trail for him to walk on. No, he had to step out of the boat and stand on the waves. If, if you weren't raised in church, just let me apologize for telling you too many stories you've never heard. But stick around. We'll eventually get to it. He stepped out on faith, but then he had to walk out on the waves. Well, Daniel went home and said, guys, I, I put us on hook. We're going to die anyway. Well, I bought us a little time, and maybe God will tell us what the dream is. And if he does, he'll deliver us. If he doesn't, well, oh well. We're going to be faithful anyway. And so they prayed to the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be restored with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Look at verse number 19. You could, you could almost put some little parentheses, parentheses in there where it says, and just like that. I, I would love it if it said, it doesn't say that. I think it doesn't say that because it's not very often going to be and just like that. Sometimes the seeking mercy from the Lord is a long, drawn-out period in which he, we think He has forgotten us, but indeed, He never does. He never sleeps. He never walks away to, to find someone more interesting to love. No, He sticks with us. And when we don't have it just like that, He wants us to keep seeking Him, keep stepping toward Him, keep walking with Him, keep trusting Him. But in this case, time was ticking. They only had a little bit of time, and just like that, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Now, you say, what, what's that? Well, visions and dreams are a little different. Here's what I think the difference is. Dreams happen when you're asleep. Visions happen when you're awake. You say, well, why, well, why are we having a vision? Would you be able to sleep? The night before you were supposed to be executed, if you hadn't learned what was going to keep you from getting executed, no. Daniel's laying there in the bed, stressed to the max, trusting as hard as he can, but not being wholly certain what God's going to do. And then he sees what God reveals. You see, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, without permission, without warning. And he shows Daniel the dream. He shows Daniel the message. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, if it's okay with you, I'd, I'd like to pause right there and just sort of take verses 20 through 23, and I'd like to just set them right over here. Can we do that? Because I think it's going to be real helpful for us in just a minute. But, but we want to just concede the fact that when Daniel was able to see, he was like... <laughs> Yes, Lord. We had a prayer, a praise service right there. Like, I didn't know before, but I know now he's revealed it. Where's the king? I got a message to give him. We're excited because the boys acted on faith. They prayed earnestly. And God has intervened and showed them the message, these four faithful friends. Now, he's got a message to tell. Let's pick up our story in verse number 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Don't destroy the wise men. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. What? Yeah, I got it. I got the dream. I got the interpretation. Go tell the king. I'm ready to tell him. Four faithful servants go in to proclaim the message from the capitals, T-H-E. I get so, Chad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is not a stab, okay? I get so sick of hearing those players announce themselves and say, I'm uh, Joey Watson from the Ohio State University. <laughs> well, la-ti-da. <laughs> it's annoying, okay? That you might have, but now you play for the Dallas Cowboys, and that ought to be better than Ohio State. Amen? Amen. Boy, it was silent out there. I don't know, no, no. The sovereign God. There are no others. He's the one. He's about to proclaim this message. Ariok brought Daniel in before the king in haste, 
and said thus to him. Watch this. This is awesome. Somebody else pointed this out to me, but this is fantastic. Watch this. Arioch walks in with Daniel and says, I found him, your majesty. I found the one. I mean, you talk about riding somebody's coattails. This dude didn't know nobody for nothing. And now he's taking credit for what the God has revealed. But at any rate, y'all must not have found that as funny as I did. I found him king among the exiles from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, just in case you've forgotten what his Babylonian name was. He says, are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Are you ready? Can you do this? Daniel answered the king and said, now listen up, this is awesome. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven. King, nobody knows this information. But there's one who does. And he is the God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. The latter days are today for King Nebuchadnezzar. And every day following. King, God has given you a dream that's going to tell you how history is going to unfold. Have you ever thought, man, I just wish I knew I had a crystal ball could just see what the future was going to be? Ever felt that way? Of course we have. Guess what? You're going to find out today exactly what the future is going to be. Here it comes. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts that would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. What is to be. What's going to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. I I, I was not privy to it before he revealed it to me. Not because of any wisdom I have. More than all of... The living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. I'm here today, king. Here's what you saw. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, massive, powerful. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness. It was blinding, reflecting the light as you looked, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. You were so very small next to this massive, unbelievably powerful image. And here's what the image looked like, king. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its middle and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and it broke them to pieces. 
Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And I'm imagining the king sitting there on his throne with jaw dropped. Maybe even trembling at the memory of this image that he saw exactly the way that Daniel had described it. And now the king in his terror, in his trouble, in his amazement waits. What does this mean? He wonders. Daniel continues. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwelt, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. You're the top of the image. You're the golden head. You'll notice that as it goes down the image, the weight becomes lighter because gold is heavier than silver. Silver is heavier than bronze. Bronze is heavier than iron. But as it comes down, though the weight of it is decreasing, the strength of the metal is increasing because iron is way stronger than all of them. But don't forget... The feet on which this massive, top-heavy image was standing is on iron mixed with mud. Elements of strength mixed with elements of weakness. Making this image impressive but weak at its foundation. King, you are the head of gold. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you, not nearly as organized, not nearly as majestic, but a little bit stronger. A kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. Yet a third kingdom of bronze, a little bit stronger. Not as well fashioned and, and, and a little bit more split apart, but strong. A third kingdom is coming after it. And it's going to overwhelm the silver kingdom. You're going to be overwhelmed by the silver. The bronze is going to be overwhelmed by... Uh, the, the silver is going to be overwhelmed by the bronze. It's not like a medal ceremony in the Olympics. It's the other way around, in fact. Verse 40. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron... Because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it will break and crush all of these. 
As you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they shall mix with each other in marriage, but they will not hold together. Just as the iron does not mix with the clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Different than the four that have been identified before. It's a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of the kingdoms of this earth and bring them to an end and it, the kingdom of God, shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be Not might be, not may be. What shall be after this? The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Nebuchadnezzar, you wanted to know what is going to happen in the future? Well, you're a lucky boy. Because God has revealed it to you. And it is to be proclaimed to every human kingdom that comes after this. I believe he's referring to this as what Jesus refers to in Luke chapter number 21, verse, I want to say 40 some odd, where Jesus refers to the times of the Gentiles. Jerusalem has been sacked. God has judged his people. God's not done with his people, but God has turned over human authority to the Gentiles. And they are going to be in control until the stone comes and defeats them all. And the kingdom of God is raised and stands forever. You really want me to talk about these four kingdoms. But I'm not going to do it because you've already looked at your watch and you know I don't have time. But not only that, we're going to pick this up in chapter number 7 when we start looking at a vision that Daniel had involving some very bizarre looking beasts that are directly connected to the elements in this image. The point of the matter is this. The kingdoms of man may think they're in control. But God is the determiner of human history. God determines what shall be. And it's gonna be. I don't take that to the extent that, well, God makes all my choices for me. No, he don't. No, He gives you the free will that you have. And He offers the opportunity for you to respond to Him if you will. The tricky thing is, is that God doesn't have to explain to us how He can have it all buttoned up. 
And still, that have no effect on how you do or don't respond to him. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, if it did, he wouldn't be nearly as an amazing God as he is. God has just told you the future that you are currently living in. Under the kingdoms of men who think they're in control, who think their flexes matter, who think that the votes are what determines this, that, or the other. And God says, I'm the one. I'm the one who does whatever I want to do because I am holy, I am righteous, and I am just. But fear not because I'm also gracious, merciful, and loving. O king, that's what God has to say. God is in complete and absolute control. God alone is the one who puts kings in place and gives them their kingdoms. God will raise other kings and other human kingdoms to take Nebuchadnezzar's place and the others. God will ultimately dismantle all human kingdoms. And God will establish His own kingdom forever through the reign of the stone. Psalm 18.2 The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I take refuge, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold. Matthew 21.44 And the one who falls on this stone of Jesus will be broken to pieces in repentance and sorrow. But when that stone falls on you, it will crush you. 1 Peter 2, 6 and 8. It stands in Scripture. In Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, we've just read it. The stone that the builders rejected in Psalm 118, verse 22, has become the cornerstone on which everything is built. Isaiah 8, 14 says, And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they will stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. How does that work? However God wants to work it. You know why? Because He is the sovereign God, no matter what. What's our application? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to verse 20. <clears throat> so Daniel sees the vision. He knows he's got the message, and he goes, God, I just want to praise you. What do we do in 2023 when we don't know what in the world's going on, when we don't know how things are going to pan out for us individually or us collectively as a nation, when we're seeing things all over the world, how are we to respond? I'm going to argue that the first takeaway is that we who are redeemed 
recognize we're citizens of God's coming kingdom and let's praise him accordingly. Let's bless the name of our God forever and ever because he's the only thing that is forever and ever. Let's bless the one to whom all wisdom belongs and all might is stored up in him. Let's bless the one who changes times and seasons, can make rivers flow in the sky if he wants to. That's what they said happened in California, brought all kinds of rain. God changes does whatever he wills. We praise the name of our God who removes kings and sets up kings. He wipes them out. He'll bring up another one to do exactly what he intends. Let's praise the God who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Let's praise the God who reveals deep and hidden things. Let's praise the God who knows what is in the dark. We don't have to be afraid of the dark because we've got a God who knows what's there. Let's praise the name of the God in whom light dwells. Jesus said, interestingly enough, in John 8, uh, 12, I am the light of the world. Let's praise His name. To you, O God of my fathers, Daniel says, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. You've made known to me what we ask of you. You've made known it to us. The kings matter. And guess what? We're still getting it today. Praise the name of the one who is always and absolutely in control. Takeaway number two, stop worrying over world powers and politics. Stop worrying about it. Be aware of it, sure. Pray about it, absolutely. God is in control. Takeaway number three, focus your energies, Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, Get off of Fox News. Get off of Newsmax. After 20 minutes. Don't sit there and worry and fret. Focus your energies on being faithful to and obeying Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, while we wait for His return. The stone that will do just exactly whatever he wants. And we get to be with Him. Amen? Be encouraged. Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you may think that I'm saying you should be afraid. I'm just saying I'd rather be broken on the stone where I can find forgiveness and redemption and love and, and being brought into the family and restored and, and made right with God. I'd rather be broken on Him than broken by Him. So yeah, you, you probably ought to be terrified if you don't know Jesus as Savior. But His invitation is to come into open arms. They're wide open and they're big enough to take all your baggage because that's all He'll take, everything you are. He'll bring you home if by faith 
You'll trust in his death and resurrection to provide forgiveness of your sin, a new destiny for the future, and a brand new purpose for today. Stand with me, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23 and 24 say this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the stone cut not by human hands. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Pick up your feet, Christian, and follow him without reservation, without fear. Walk out what he's called us to do. Be in salt and light.